God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed? And the this familiar voice doing a soundtrack for us belongs to Pastor Mark Finley. He's the former speaker director of It Is Written, the author of over 70 books, an international evangelist, the assistant to the president of the General Conference, and currently serves at the Living Hope Seventh-day Adventist Church. Quite the resume. But looking beyond this, what's palpable in even simple conversation with the down-to-earth Elder Finley is that he has a relationship with God, and this partnership guides every aspect of his life. We asked him to share his thoughts on consecration. In this episode, my co-host Esther Lowe and I explore various angles of this concept with Elder Finley. What is a consecrated life? How do I know if I'm quote-unquote consecrated? What's surrender? How do emotions factor into all of this? This was a blessing to record, and I hope you're as blessed listening. Thank you so much, Elder Finley, for being here and being willing to answer these questions about consecration. One of our first questions is, what does consecration look, or what does it look like for you in your your own life? Mm -hmm. You know, for me, there is one issue in the Christian life that if you settle you can settle most other questions. And I think you find that in the life of Christ. When you go to Gethsemane, Jesus prays three times, not my will, but thy will be done. If you solve the question of whose will you will follow, you solve many other problems in the Christian life. You know, Jesus says in John 8, verse 29, I do always those things that please him. So Christ made a bedrock fundamental decision that he was going to do the Father's will. If you do that, you don't have to argue with God over everything that comes up. God reveals to you something, say, in dress or diet or something you're watching on TV or some attitude you have. If you're not fully consecrated to God, but you're playing fake Christianity, Mm -hmm. then you're going to argue with God at everything he brings up. But if you're truly consecrated to God, consecration to me means that I've come to the place in my life where I know that God's way is best. I know his will is best, and all I want to do is please him. Mm-hmm. I like how you brought up the, the idea of fake Christianity. Um, that reminds me like of a question I've always had, that you know, a lot of the times you can meet people who are non-Christian, who are kind and unselfish people, yeah. but then you meet Christians who are unkind and selfish. So how do we deal with that cognitive dissonance and recognize true consecration from that fake Christianity? Yeah, you know, that's a really a good question. And it's kind of like I was telling somebody earlier today, we were raising that question, you know, why is God so good and the church so bad at times um, that people ask you that question? And I said, you know, if I run through a patch of roses, I'm going to get ripped. My legs may get cut. There are some thorns on those roses. But I can stand back on a gentle summer night with the sun setting and the gentle breeze blowing and smell the beautiful aroma of the roses. Roses have thorns. And so when you look at the church, there are some thorny people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to they're cut you up a little bit at times. But yet, there's the beauty that, the, that is there in the church as well. And when you think about that, how do you deal with that? Well, Jesus talked about that. He said the wheat and the tares are going to grow together in the harvest. So Often it depends, too, on what you're looking for. If God gives me a consecrated heart, I want to see the best in every other human being. So the person that treats me quite abruptly, the person that is quite caustic and critical of me, 
I want to say, God, where are they hurting? What can I do to minister to them? The person that is selfish and in a local church really is jockeying for position and wants church office, I might ask myself the question, Lord, what insecurity is there in their life that makes them want to dominate? The person who um, comes in and doesn't say hi to anybody, how have they been repressed in childhood so those feelings are bottled up inside? So rather than looking at the church as a group of perfect saints, you can look at it from the opportunity of two aspects, one to minister to others and try to figure out. I think one of the great um, joys of life is trying to figure out why other people respond the way they do when they respond even negatively. Now, you see, that's kind of a dissonance, you know, joy and negativity. Mm -hmm. But I, I think for a Christian, you're always thinking, God, help me to be able to minister to that person, even if they are not responsive, even if they're not the, the, the greatest joys to minister to, even if it's tough. I think that's one aspect of the question. The other aspect of the question is, to me, I don't ask what's bad about the church. I ask what's good about it. And I see people working from eight to five in what some would call secular employments and then participating with us in a soup kitchen at night. Mm -hmm. I see people working 40, 50 hours a week and yet participating with us in health programs, going out and give Bible studies, ministering to the needy and the poor and the disadvantaged and taking people into their homes. I see people with medical degrees that are giving up a week of their time when they could be making money going on mission trips. So, you know, and so when I look at the church, it is a mixed bag. You do have this cognitive dissonance, but you look at it from and the question is, where do you focus? You know, what are you really focusing on? Uh, and how can I minister? Maybe we should take a couple steps back just really quickly. And maybe is it even possible to define consecration? I think a lot of people see consecration and surrender as these very abstract, nebulous concepts. How might we bring them down to earth just a little bit? Okay. I see consecration, and we'll go back to something we said earlier, then I'll kind of flesh that out. I see consecration as commitment. Uh, so who, where is your commitment? Um, is sports my major commitment? So I spend hours every week on it. Can I say I'm consecrated if I'm obsessed with the sports? Is fashion my major commitment? So who has my thoughts? Who do I love to talk about? Um, genuine, authentic Christianity, Christ is at the center. I love to talk about Jesus. I love to share Jesus. When you're in love, everybody knows. Um, and, uh, you know, my wife and I have been married for 50 years. Nobody has to ask if I love her or she loves me. When you love somebody, you want to sh talk about them mm -hmm. joyfully. It's natural. When you love somebody, you want to spend time with them. Spending time with them is not a burden, it's a delight. I love to spend time with my wife. We walk together, we fellowship together. I want to share with her the joys of my heart. So what is consecration? It's loving to spend time with Jesus. It's loving to pray. It's the desire to spend time in his word. What is consecration? It is loving to share the depths of my heart with the Christ who means so much to me. Now, how can I know that I'm really consecrated? 
I think there are a number of ways. One, do I love to spend time with Jesus? Do I love to talk about Jesus? Do I love to share Jesus? Do I see witnessing as something that I do only if I have time after my regular work? Or is witness somebody I am all through my day, witnessing of his love, his grace, verbally and non-verbally? I think also the other aspect of, the other two aspects of this consecration is who do I love to talk about? Who do I love to spend time with? Uh, secondly, what are, where are my thoughts? In my private inmost thoughts, what dominates my thinking? I like very much Philippians 2 verse 5 that says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Who dominates my thoughts? Does Christ dominate my thinking process? And thirdly, in the area of consecration, what do I do with my spare time? Mm. When I have downtime, where does my heart naturally go? If I'm a genuine Christian, I love to spend time with Jesus. My deepest affections and thoughts are of Him. And when I have a few moments, I want to take it with my best friend. That's consecration. What if, um, you know, maybe I want to be more committed to God, but I don't have that desire to spend time with Jesus. Mm -hmm. What if I don't have those feelings? Mm -hmm. How do I get to that point? Begin where you are. Um, Don't wish that you were somebody else. Don't feel that you have to be a super saint and that you're not consecrated to God unless you spend three hours a day studying your Bible and praying. Mm -hmm. Start right where you are. And... um, Start by simply, when you get up in the morning, before you get out of bed, put your Bible right next to your bed, and just before you get out of bed, read a psalm. Even if it's five minutes or ten minutes, that will energize your spiritual life. So start small with those incremental steps, and uh, God will take you where you are. So Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. So you start where you are. There's no other place to start. And... uh, Next, you know, I, I love what Scripture says in the book of Romans. It says that uh, God has given to every one of us a measure of faith. So that faith may be like, may be like little mustard seed faith, but God's going to grow that faith in your heart. He's going to grow that love. When I first began dating my wife, I did not spend five hours a day with her. <laughs> If I could get a casual conversation among all those other guys that were vying for (laughs) time, I was really lucky, see. So you start incrementally. And and the more you know Jesus, the more you want to know Jesus. Mm -hmm. The more you spend time with Jesus, the more you want to spend time with Jesus. The more you study the word, something is going to happen in your life where you hunger and thirst after the word. Like David says, my heart pants for the... My heart is like a deer panting for the water brook. Mm -hmm. So there's that desire that God creates in you. So build on the desire you have. Just Mm -hmm. start right where you are. Don't be too hard on yourself. Don't uh, whip yourself and flagellate yourself like Martin Luther did. Um, But start where you are. And as you read more and you study more and you expose your mind more to Christ, you'll Mm -hmm. fall in love with him more deeply. Mm -hmm. Speaking of falling in love, I think that 
a commonality in the Christian experience is just experiencing these super high highs of being completely in love, and then that's followed by a really low low of mm-hmm. doubt or something like that, and just this this range of emotions. Or somebody might approach it in, in a completely different way, just totally logical, leave all emotion out of it. How do you integrate, I guess, natural human characteristics in this journey of? leading towards consecration. You know, I was a pastor in and worked in the Lake Union Soul Winning Institute in Chicago for many years. And in Chicago, we had the Sears Tower. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the Sears Tower was the largest building in the world, tallest building in the world. It, it is no longer. There's been built one in Dubai that's taller. And um, it had a hundred and some odd floors. I forget the number of floors. And one of my friends said once, he said this to me, and I've always remembered it. He said, my emotions are like the elevator in Sears Tower. Sometimes I'm on the hundred and whatever it is, 31st floor, but sometimes I'm in the basement. Mm-hmm. If I'm on the 131st floor, I can see this great view. I'm in ecstasy. I'm feeling great. But he said, sometime in the basement. Then he said, but God is like the elevator man. Whether I'm on the 130-some floor or whether I'm in the basement, the elevator man is still operating the elevator. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing particularly that young people need to recognize is that God is not dependent on their emotions. My relationship with God is not dependent on how I feel about God on that particular day. There are going to be many things that affect your emotions. There are going to be times that you don't pass an exam and you are going to be really down and out about it. You're going to be really discouraged about it. There are going to be times that you get a phone call that your brother has been in a car accident. You're going to be down about it. There are going to be times that you just get up in the morning and you just feel a blue funk. You were studying a lot or you were working 60 hours a week, 50 hours a week. You didn't have a good diet. You didn't get much exercise. And you just feel lousy. That has absolutely nothing to do with where God is in your life. Um, And so I think it's really important for young people particularly to recognize that their feelings about God do not dictate God's feelings about them. Mm -hmm. That God is there even when I don't see him. God is there even when I don't feel it. God is there. God is committed to me. When I make a commitment to Christ and I become a son of God, a daughter of the King, he is there and he promises that he's going to be the author and finisher of my faith. He promises that what he started, he's going to finish. So my faith or my trust in God, and I like to define faith this way. Faith is a relationship with God as a friend well-known that believes he'll never harm me and that he will never leave me or forsake me that leads me to trust him in every aspect of my life. So faith is basically trust, that I can trust that he's there. And so what I would say is this, that um, when you don't have feelings of closeness to God, that has nothing to do with how God feels about you. And recognizing that our feelings don't dictate what God's feelings are, does that mean that we should ignore any of the feelings that we might have and, and just... If I feel distant to God, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean I should ignore them. It means I should recognize them. Right. So I don't ignore my feelings. I recognize them, and I acknowledge them. See, if you ignore them and you, and you um, repress your feelings, that can be harmful to you both emotionally, relationally. Um, it can be harm to you physically. 
But if I acknowledge my feelings, if I say, you know what, God, today, I'm not feeling close to you. Mm-hmm. But I know that that does not dictate your feeling toward me. I know that no matter how I feel, I love you love me and you care for me. And I'm living, I'm choosing to live not in harmony with the way I feel, but the way I know you feel about me. Mm-hmm. So we don't repress our feelings, but we recognize them. And we recognize, too, that life has its seasons. And there are times you're going to feel a little bit down. There are going to be times you feel blah. There's going to be times you feel up. Life has its seasons. And so you recognize your feelings. You acknowledge your feelings. And you, beyond your feelings, live a life of trust in God. Mm-hmm. I think, though, when we are experiencing these feelings of doubt or or intense faith, a lot of times the inner motivation is not how do I feel about God or how do I perceive God, but it's am I saved, you know? Mm-hmm. The, the focus is always on this salvation on heaven. Um, how would you respond to something like that? What do you think is the focus, I guess, of the consecrated yeah. Christian? My... Um, And I I wanted to go back a minute, too, because a statement from Desire of Ages came to my mind that says this, Jesus was neither elated by applause or dejected by censure. Mm -hmm. I love it. You know, Jesus had this very stable relationship with the Father, and there were times that the crowds wanted to make him king, and the other times they wanted to crucify him. Mm -hmm. But he had this steady confidence, and I I think that has to do with consecration of faith. It's this steady confidence that God is there. Back to your your other question about salvation. Um, The problem with the very question Mm -hmm. is its focus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when I begin to think in my own mind, you know, um, I'm not good enough to be saved. The focus is on me rather than on Jesus. George Vandeman was a mentor of mine when I first came to his written, and one of the famous statements that he always made in his sermons was this, if I look at myself, I don't see any possibility for me to be saved. If I look at Jesus, I don't see any possibility for me to be lost. Mm. And I think what I would say to young people about the issue of salvation is, where is your focus? Is your focus on the Christ that lived the perfect life that you should have lived? Is your focus on the Christ that died the death you should have died? When you feel insecure and uncertain and filled with doubt regarding your salvation, it's because you are looking within the weakness of your own heart. And you know, Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17:9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So you remember what the Apostle Paul says, he's looking, he says, looking forward to the things that are before, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So if I look within, I'm going to see weakness. If I look without, I'm going to see other people, and I'm either going to feel proud or I'm going to feel um, uh, disappointed I'm not like them. So if I look at other people, I'll either become critical or arrogant. If I look within, I'll either become depressed or discouraged. If I look behind at all my faults, I'll feel guilty. And if I look to the future, I may feel worried. But I look for Jesus, I'll feel confident. So I'm not looking within or without, behind or before. But when you focus, and I think the issue of the Christian life is where you focus. Am I focusing on Jesus? Because if I am, He is my salvation.
wrapping up some of the conversation that we've had is, you know, we've talked about consecration and our focus isn't really on, on me mm-hmm. and, and my problems, but on God. So what does a life that's focused on God look like? Okay. Um, on consecration, too, you know, you'd asked earlier, how do you know if you're consecrated to God? Right. How do you know if you're a make-believe Christian? And there's there's many ways you can know. We talked about who has the thoughts. We talked about um, where do you spend your time. But there is something else that has come to my mind, and it's this. One way I know whether I'm doing my will or God's, if every time in my life the things I want to do are the things that God wants me to do, that's not much of a test, is it? I'll give you an example. Have either of you ladies ever smoked cigarettes? No. no. <laughs> Do you want to? No. That's the indication you're converted, right? No. <laughs> no. no. You see my point. Mm-hmm. See, but what if I were a smoker? I'm not, and I never have. But what if I were a smoker two packs a day, mm-hmm. and I was addicted to that, and mm-hmm. I came to the point in my life where God convicted me of it, would giving up smoking be a test for me? If I were a smoker, it would be. See, so it's not a test for you to be in harmony with God's will when you want to be. The greatest test is when God shows you something in your life that's not in harmony with his will. That tests whether or not my heart is converted. So conversion comes at a point of a test. So God reveals some attitude toward me. It might be criticism. It might be an attitude of unkindness and so forth. God reveals that attitude for me. Maybe it's an attitude of selfishness. And I say, God, I'm not going to battle with you on this thing. I'm, I'm going I'm to surrender that. God reveals something to you that you're watching on the Internet or television. And you say, God, I'm going to surrender this. God reveals an inordinate desire for position or pride. And you say, God, I'm going to surrender this. So conversion comes at the point in which our will and God's will conflicts and we choose God's will. And that deepens our experience. Conversion doesn't come at the point when I'm doing everything that I want to do anyway. And it just happens to be God's will. See, that's the difference. Mm-hmm. Come back and ask me your other question to, to what you asked before. Um, basically, what does it look like to be consecrated? What would my life be like? Change? How would it change? How would it be different? Mm-hmm. I know mean, this is kind of a, a tricky question to answer because to say you need to look like this in right. order to look like you're consecrated, I think that's kind of putting the cart before the horse, you know, dictating the behaviors mm-hmm. before actually... Is it external or is it internal? Mm-hmm. I think it's both. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you have an internal relationship with Christ, it's going to be manifest in external behavior. But I don't think you focus on the behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you focus on the internal relationship with Christ. And people are going to be growing um, in their experience with Jesus. And we all come from different genetic backgrounds. We come from different family backgrounds. I was telling somebody the other day, a life consecrated to Christ, because in our class, a lady raised this question. She said, you know, I'm naturally um, very aggressive. And she said, you know, I'm quite forward, quite aggressive. And she said, sometimes I come across really strongly, and I, I, and I really want Jesus to change me. And I said to her, accept who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Jesus is not going to change your DNA. Um, he's not going to have you be a little meek person in the corner. That's not your DNA. But what he will do is change, like he did Peter, that aggressive nature to a positive influence for Christ in witness. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that often Christians think that God's going to just come down in some way change our DNA and change our basic personality. What I see him doing, rather, is shaping and molding who he has made us. God loves you the way he made you. He made you that way. He formed the genes and chromosomes that came together to form the unique biological structure of your personality. So that's the way God made you. But what is he going to do? He's going to mold and shape that personality so that you still will be you to direct you into the areas of life where you can be of most service for him. What does a consecrated Christian life look like? It looks like a person who says, Jesus, I trust you in every area of my life, and I want to reveal you to others, but I'm weak and I'm growing. I'm going to fall at times. I'm going to make mistakes at times. But that doesn't mean that I'm less dear to the heart of God. It means that the Christian life is a process. Sometimes we're going to be on the mountains. Sometimes we're going to be in the valley. But it's living a life of trust in God with an attempt to share what he's done in my life with other people. Many thanks to Elder Finley for sharing his perspective. In this conversation, I was personally reminded of the obvious but often forgotten fact. God loves us. God wants us. He's desirous of a relationship with us. And as we've heard in this episode, consecration doesn't involve chasing after his favor or living in a constant state of policing ourselves and others. Rather, it simply involves answering the question, will I choose him back? Mm 